Welcome to the Vision for the Valley podcast. I am your host, Joseph Velarde. In this podcast, we will discover the gym that is the Lehigh Valley and learn from people from all walks of life. Welcome to another episode of the Vision for the Valley podcast. I'm your host, Joe Velarde. I'm so excited to have a friend of mine who I've, I've known through the years and just really admired uh, the way he's led and, and loved people, uh, Pastor Tim Lucas from uh, Liquid Church. And Tim, thanks for joining us this, this day on the Vision for the Valley podcast. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and Liquid Church. Well, it's a joy to be with you, Joe. And uh, in the middle of a pretty crazy time, right, that the Lord has chosen us all to love and lead through, man. It's pretty wild. Yeah, I'm, I'm coming to you from across the river, across the valley there in, uh, in northern New Jersey, and uh, have the privilege of serving as lead pastor of Liquid Church. Uh, L-I-Q-U-I-D, which let's be honest, people hear that name. I think they assume we're either a cult or a drinking fraternity. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we named it Liquid for a simple reason. We said, hey, Jesus met spiritually thirsty people with li- fresh living water. So our vision is to really be a, a refreshing place where we can saturate our state with the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And um, we started Liquid back in 2007 is when we launched out. So about 13 years old, we have uh, seven campuses. Um, <laughs> we, we had about 5,500 people, but I don't know if we'll have a church left after <laughs> this pandemic is over. We've been closed like you, you know, probably for about, uh, I think, 17 weeks. And so we're recording this in, in July, but hopefully we'll be getting back together at some point soon. Yeah, and Tim, Tim's one of those guys, too, uh, as I mentioned early on, uh, just his he has an infectious way of relating and connecting uh, with people. But even as I think about the name of the church, Liquid Church, uh, that name actually has helped us even as we began to form our church back in 2009, Riverbend Community Church, and just thinking about the idea of living water and how Jesus does satisfy and saturating this area of the Lehigh Valley and, and for Tim, uh, in northern New Jersey and with with the hope that is found in Jesus and, and what he's about and what he brings. And it's so um, important, even in a time like this, that we hold on to that for ourselves as leaders. Like yeah. he, he is the living water. He wants to satisfy our thirsty souls because mm. as we're leading out in this, uh, no one's done this before, <laughs> at least yeah. in our lifetime. Right. Uh, and, you know, uh, I always like to tell people the only thing, that is certain right now as everything's uncertain uh, right. from, from those who just are really trying to figure it out. And, and there's a lot of, you know, fatigue that comes with this um, as we're, as we're leading. So I, I wanted to ask you, Tim, just as you think about your own leadership through this um, first, I want to ask, I'm going to ask you a question, but first before I do that, I really appreciated you leading the way in our, our area, um, even making the hard call to say, Hey, it's not safe for us to gather together in person way back when and we i'll never forget seeing you guys do that and and for me it just helped even to be like all right tim i know him and for him to make a decision with his team like that is a big decision and now looking back we're, we're all grateful that we made a, the similar decisions mm. um though it's not been easy um, and it's, it's you know created its own set of challenges for us but even to think about what's best for people yeah, Even in a time where it's like, nah, man, like you know, it'd be easy just to do what we've normally done. And so, with that, I want to ask you, what have you been learning through this crazy season? <laughs> yeah, 
Well, this is, you know, for obvious reasons, turned my world a little bit upside down. Um, but most of all, it's really unearthed and exposed, I think, some work that Jesus wants to do in me. Mm. Um, you know, I'm a three on the Enneagram, uh, so kind of, you know, activistic leader, uh, bias for action, which is a wonderful wiring that the Lord has, you know, given many, you know, lead pastors. But of course, with everything, there's a shadow side to that. And, um, you know, that bias for action means that um, my contemplative life can sometimes get the short end of the stick. Uh, there's always so much to do, right? We live in, uh, you know, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, which again, once we're thriving uh, with, you know, the gospel being proclaimed, uh, you know, the Northeast is really a lot of wells of revival, you know, from, from the uh, 1700s, but all those wells have run dry. And so it is a very spiritually dry region. And so for an activistic personality, man, there's no end to, uh, you know, evangelizing, doing outreach, uh, saturating the community, you know, trying to reach really lost people or people who are, I would say, post-Christian. Mm. So, you know, most of the folks around here are not, you know, zero on the evangelism scale. Who is this Jesus you speak of? They're negative four. <laughs> They're, you know, maybe they grew up uh, Catholic. No, that's no aspersion on our Catholic brothers and sisters, yep. but they, were, they grew up with more of a duty sense of religion and ritual, and it wasn't life-giving. And so, I love that. I love that about New Jersey. That's, that's the people I grew up with. And so I love connecting them and introducing them to the real Jesus and the grace of God. Uh, you know, nothing to prove, completely loved and accepted. They can't believe it's real, you know? Mm. And, um, and so that's a joy. But, uh, you know, when COVID hit and, you know, we made that difficult decision to, we said, we're going to be leaders in closing and we're now making a decision to be laggards in reopening. So we're going to now lead from behind. We're going to lead forward with a bold move where people are like, I don't believe why are you closing the church, all that. Now we're actually going to take our time in reopening. Um, that has shifted a different posture to my leadership. Uh, uh, learning how to wait on God really like, you know, for discernment, um, to make a call that is not clear. There's more ambiguity than ever. Um, that's something that threes on the Enneagram are not totally comfortable with. <laughs> we like, planning we like work in the plan work in the process putting together a strategy let's look at milestones along the way and in many ways i've had to open my hands and be much more open-handed um because you know the culture and what's happening is changing so quickly hmm. um sometimes not just week by week but day by day right hour by hour the governor will come out with a new directive or a new restriction or this is what we're doing for schools oh houses of worship and uh you know, that has been a real challenge, Joe. So you ask, what am I learning? You know, that's the external symptoms, right? That I think we're all feeling, but then how the Lord uses that. It's always, every crisis is an invitation, right? For the, Jesus to do something new in your heart. And so, I mean, this is wet cement, by the way. I don't have this figured out, but I, yeah. um, what I said is, you know, from this time that I'm kind of out of pocket from seeing people on a, at our worship services or preaching, you know, five times a week or whatever it is, um, I want to come, whenever we come back, I want to come back a healthier, stronger, better version of Tim. Mm. And what I realized is that my doing for Jesus was really eclipsing my being with Jesus. Mm. Um, and that happens to everybody. I think, yep. you know, for a lot of ministry leaders, 
um, you know, it's as easy as, you know, we're doing a devotional, spend time with the Lord and you say, well, this would make a great sermon. In fact, I got an idea for a series and you start outlining it. And next thing you know, like I had three great hours with the Lord and I got my four weeks of sermons outlined. It gets blurry, right? So what I realized though is um, my activistic nature tends to give short shrift to my, um, my inner life with Jesus. And so, um, I just completed the last eight weeks. I, I, um, was blessed to be in a, um, emotionally healthy spirituality group with Pete Scazzaro. Dude, um, that'd be who, so awesome. Oh man. He, he's the master. <laughs> yeah, Kicked my uh, butt. Yep. It was great. I saw myself in all of those, you know, um, I call them sins, you know, Americans call it, well, oh no, no, no. That's just, you know, we wear a badge of busyness, <laughs> yeah, busyness, yeah. overworking, overfunctioning. We're just like, oh yeah, that's my, you know, I, my real addiction is to my work. I just can't pull myself away and everybody celebrates you. But, you know, Pete really puts that in sharp relief of how toxic that can be to a leader's soul long-term. Mm. And so, um, I think the Lord is helping me use a little bit of this, this time out, or at least the pause that this pandemic has had to say, you know what, you need to get the last 13 years of liquid has been wonderful. It's been a roller coaster ride, yeah. lots of ups and downs, but the speed of our organization, it's probably pushing 70, you know, 70, 75 mm. miles an hour mm. and right. 10, 10, I don't know. It's here. It's 20 miles over the speed limit by you and, <laughs> and Lehigh. It's only 10, right? <laughs> <laughs> it depends on where you are, but yeah, I, yeah, yeah, that's good, man. So, you know, I think I feel like the Lord was saying, you know what, for the long-term health and growth and discipleship of our staff and pastors, because we're all sons and daughters of God, right? Mm-hmm. We can't be leading people any deeper in their walk with Jesus than we're willing to go ourselves. Mm-hmm. So I think for the good of that, the Lord is saying, you know what? Yes, it won't always be slowed down like this, but don't just get back pedal to the metal. Let's, let's really seek out the Holy Spirit and saying, what is a sustainable pace for your leadership, Tim? Because I'm not 29 anymore. <laughs> uh, in your, my 40s, as you know, right? It's like all of a sudden like, oh, oh I, I, I get tired a lot earlier. And uh, yeah. the pace of, pace of life for our staff, too, I think is important. So that's, that's just what, you know, the Lord is kind of impressing on me. But I'd love to hear, Joe, how, how it's worked for you in the Riverbend community. Yeah, well, I think... I think uh what you said is spot on just the this collective pause and i think recognizing um even as we work through this time of you know the pandemic and then the racial unrest and you know there's stuff you know our family stuff doesn't go away just because we're in the middle of a crisis right in the sense of the family demands and even leading a team i i think um i think in a similar way i think the lord is asking me to deepen my surrender to him and mm-hmm. to, you know, I, I think what makes us both very similar is that we know how to make things happen. Yeah. And that's, and that's a, that's a gift that God's mm-hmm. given us. I think the challenge with it is like you said, the shadow side, is this God doing it through me or is this me just manufacturing something? Mm. And I think pulling away enough to hear, what he's saying and and even to and we're going to get to the emotional healthy side of this too i think even to mourn um i have a a friend uh, at hoboken grace chris high you may know him oh of course yeah yeah yeah, great guy but he said you know and especially in that that climate where you guys are at a lot of people are leaving and i know he's closer to the you know right you know 
Hoboken's a lot of ways considered another borough of New York City. That's right. Just in droves, people are leaving. And, and I think he said, to, you know, to me, uh, he said to me, like, you know, I'm having to mourn uh, what's yeah. not going to be when I come back. Not, not in an unhealthy way, not in a pessimistic way, but just, I think, getting clarity that the church is going to look very different. And I think even for me, who, um, who thrives on energy and excitement and yes. positivity, <laughs> like, like yeah. having to sit with the Lord in the uncertainty of it and even yeah. the, the, the grieving of like, wow, things are really going to change and to let him deepen in me what it means to be his son and to, yes. you know, let him uh, lead me forward and to, to be so clear on the call he has on my life. Yes. Yep. Not just from a sense of what we'll do, but from our identity in Christ yeah. but, and to walk in confidence. I, I just turned 40 um, in July. And so at some point, welcome, I welcome think, to the <laughs> club, the best years of your life. <laughs> That's right. But you know, my, my, my wife and I have an identical twin brother. So my wife and, uh, my uh, sister-in-law took me and my brother out and to celebrate. And one of the things they said to us, and I, th- just, I have found it to, to your point, hey, as you step into your 40s, a prayer is that you would confidently follow the identity that you have in Jesus yes, and to yes. believe that he's going to lead you in such a way yeah. um, that, he'll, that he's going to sh- come through and he's going to show up through you as well and that you can trust him. You can trust him from the decisions you make to the the even difficult things that you have to face and deal with. So I have found it really helpful even to think about it in that way of like, Hey, what's he calling me to? What does he say to me Um, to grieve what I need to grieve, but to also see gifts like one of the gifts right now, to be honest, it's easier to get with people like Tim Lucas uh, because you know, we both are kind of like, yeah, we're quarantined and we're all you know? in the Zoomosphere. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So you know, and, and not that we're not busy because we are busy in a different way. Uh, yeah. But I think even to see the, those gifts, but I was at the park this morning and uh, as I was at the park, this, this one area usually is full of water, like just mm. full, like, you know, it's like, um, it's got a Creek. And yeah. as I was walking it, it was the first time I saw it. It was, um, it was just dry. And now they're using it as a storage area for some bulldozers and, and all these yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I was like, man, Lord, I think it's a good picture of what can happen to our souls. Yes. You know, yeah. that we can, we can empty out. And then on the other side of me was this, this other side of the Creek and it was full. And, and I think the Lord's saying, Hey, you can go from empty or you can lead from a yes. place of being filled uh, by my love and my leadership and what I have for you. And, like you said, to deepen even my walk with Jesus. I feel like he is doing that. I think there's a lot of purging and pruning yes. that's happening in this time for me yeah. to really define more clearly the purposes that he has for me. Uh, yeah. But it's, it's painful. I mean, I think, yeah. I think you would agree with that. The pruning, the pruning metaphor is so apt right now. I think I talked to so many other lead pastors who are like, oh yeah, man, they're, they're feeling the pain, the cut. And it's, it, you know, on the surface, it's, oh, man, I miss the energy and excitement, you know, of, of seeing the, the congregation or preaching, you know, you get immediate feedback, that sort of stuff. But it does almost like reveal, at least it did for me, but that's where I was like kind of surprised. It's almost like when the water recedes a little bit, you realize, wow, how, I didn't think, um, but a lot of my identity is tied to performance and results. 
Mm-hmm. And you almost feel out of sorts, like when you're not performing, like, you know, and uh, we wouldn't use those terms, you know, <laughs> we would say, oh, exercising are, are not given gifts, you know, <laughs> things like that. Um, but, you know, the reality is like, oh, wow, when you're leading virtually from a distance, first off, very hard to get the pulse of people, That's then right. add not just the pandemic, right? Uh, 2020 is like the year of Russian nesting dolls. It's like, okay, global pandemic, but wait, there's more. And inside is like, oh, a racial reckoning, right? And it's like, but wait, there's more. Here comes a polarizing election. But wait, you know, what's next? The economy. And it's like, with all of that churn and uncertainty, it's disorienting. And for somebody who likes to at least, again, of course we rely on the wisdom and uh, discernment of the Lord. But at the same time, I want to do my part. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and not being able to exercise that in the way that I previously have, I realized that was probably overgrown. Mm. And the Lord is pruning that back. And I'm realizing like, wow, wisdom and sermon often involves a lot of waiting <laughs> for an outcome that's candidly out of my hands. I can't control it. And that feels uncomfortable. And so then, uh, you know, then you go down that rabbit hole and the Lord all of a sudden is like, well, where is this anxiety coming from? You know, I'm not an anxious person. I I can preach on that. I got a good sermon series on anxiety, but that's for other people, not me. And, uh, and so, you know, the Lord is doing, I would encourage this to your listeners. A, they're perfectly normal. Everybody's going through this and it manifests differently, but at the same time, you're totally normal. You're also utterly unique. Mm -hmm. You know, there are leaders here who might be listening and they may be like, well, I'm more of a contemplative. I'm not a make it happen uh, kind of uh, leader. And candidly, I like, I'm more introverted. I like just having to Zoom a couple times a day and not see everybody. (laughs) (laughs) I I talked to the men and women who said that, you know, in an honest moment. But yeah, I would just encourage everybody. It's like, hey, let this little pause be a Selah moment. You know, in the Psalms, they go, Selah. Okay, let's take a pause break deep breath what is jesus carving in you what is he pruning off what are some of the deeper rhythms he's inviting you into so that you can come back healthier better version of joe velarde for the benefit of riverbend and the entire valley yeah and i think that's really important too to like know that in our disorientedness because we're all yeah. being disoriented he's trying to reorient us around his kingdom and his yeah. kingdom ways and i think every person here no matter what you do i think a question and tim said it so well where is he trying to not only grow you as a person that's part of it which we talked a good bit about but what is he asking you to even change and wanting to transform your leadership going forward and that doesn't mean you have to be a totally different person but tim and i both i think are recognizing we're gonna have to lead differently yeah uh, when we when we come back, we're having to lead differently now, but we're gonna have to lead different when we come back. Like I'm recognizing what I was able to do over the years. To your point, I love that analogy. I pr- it probably was overgrown in some ways. Mm-hmm. Some of the ways I, you know, you had to lead. And some of that's being a founder and a leader, and yeah, you know, all those things are, are true. But then you have to recognize, like, okay, what am I uniquely shaped for, and how do I leverage my gifts? not just for my benefit, for the benefit of others, and then empower and release others to step into it while being mindful. It's not just about seeing them perform and achieve while being mindful of who they are, like who they're becoming, how's their family, how's their, you know, all these things, you know, working together. Yes. 
you know, it's funny that pruning metaphor, I'm just looking here in John 15, you know, and we've all preached the vine and the branches, everybody well-known, you know, metaphor Jesus uses, but leaders I've noticed don't like the second half. We like preaching the first half. Don't be unfruitful. Uh, God will cut that off, throw it into the fire, right? Nobody wants to be unfruitful. But what's funny is it says, and then the branches that are fruitful, I prune even more (laughs) so that they will become even more, you know, fruitful, spiritually productive. And it's funny because the punchline is Jesus is like, everybody gets cut. (laughs) It's not just the unfruitful or people who aren't stirring their gifts well. The ones who are, I'm going to prune them too. Because somewhere along the way, I think there is that, it's just the independent, you know, part of our, our brokenness where we declare independence from God. I, can, I got this. I can do this on myself. Or I'm going to keep praying, but I'm going to be inviting Jesus into my will be done. Yeah. And if you could bless that, that would be awesome. Because uh, it's for you anyway, right? <laughs> and it's so subtle in a leader's heart. I just find the faster I go, the less I'm aware of it. Yeah. And so when, I, when Jesus slows me down, I'm able to reconnect with him my word, orient and see what's happening. Oh, that's out of alignment. You know, this is a bit out of alignment. So prune me, Jesus. I, I want to be more, mm. more fruitful. And if that means actually doing less and empowering others more, um, that's one of the things this is doing, right? It's all this remote work, Zooming everywhere. You know, I don't know about you, but Zoom fatigue is a real thing. Yeah. There is an exhaustion there. Um, I was actually talking yesterday with, uh, with my counselor and, uh, and he said his, his read on the Zoom thing is that, by the way, is that clutter tires the brain. Mm-hmm. The reason it's exhausted is it's almost too much visual stimuli. Yeah. We're kind of, the person's talking and you're sort of looking over their shoulder and being like, what is he reading? Uh, I see on the bookshelf and you look at their books, and then you kind of, <laughs> you know, and we're always trying to decode all these things. And it's exhausting. And not having the physical cues of body language and being in touch with people in the room, it, you don't have the social grooming. That brings, you know, just that connection point. And so it's a lot more tiring. And in a good way, I've just said, you know what? I got to trust my people more than ever in these moments. And that's hard because we're at a distance too. We're not just going out for coffee. So um, it really is pushing me into some uncharted waters that probably are for my good and for Jesus's glory, even though it doesn't feel pleasant at the time. Well, that's that's good. And I think it's a, important perspective even just to know like even when you're being fruitful you may feel like man i'm doing all this good like why why am i why is this cutting happening yeah well, it's actually a um it's actually affirming the good that not only god sees that you're doing mm-hmm. but that he's a good father you know yes. heavenly father and he wants to do something deep within us because he wants to get to those roots because as he gets to the roots that's actually what changes the fruit and yeah. really deepening uh, some things within us, pruning. So pruning often is, is painful, but I think sometimes we see it as like, this is punishment. No, no, no. Actually, it's, yeah. it may feel painful and it, it, right. it is painful, but it's not punishment. It actually is one of the most loving things That's right. that could ever happen. Just like, you know, for, with our kids, you know, Tim, and yeah. you're, you're ahead of me in right. the journey. But, you know, there, there are things you have to prune, you know, prune out of them yes. to help them grow, right, and to mature. And, you know, they don't like it in the moment, but they're going to thank you later on. Yes. No right. discipline seems pleasant at the time, right? That's right. That's right. Uh, but what father doesn't discipline his son that he loves? You know, it's a classic, classic Hebrews. The problem is, is none of us would choose it. I'd be like, why do, 
why don't we design a way to grow through eating Chick-fil-A and ice cream sandwiches? That, that, <laughs> That's right. That would be so much more pleasant at the time. But, uh, but here we are, man. So I, I just appreciate comparing notes, Joe, and knowing, hey, I got a, a, a brother on the soul journey that Jesus has us all on. Oh, yeah, man. And, I'm, and I think it's important for people to hear that, too. Like you said, like no matter where you are, if you're, hey, more contemplative. And for you, like this is like a dream come true. <laughs> That's right. What, what, though, would God may be asking you to move towards action in? And then, mm -hmm. you know, so if you're contemplating, mm -hmm. the purpose of contemplating is to hear from the Lord. Right. When you hear, then to obey. Right. right. And then right. For, That's for, right. Us, for us who are more activists, mm -hmm. hey, we need to pause. We need yeah. to consider. We need to, like, right now, I'm, I'm similar to Tim. I'm trying to figure out, like, okay. What does reopening even look like? That's right. <laughs> Every, like we, we did a, a reopening Sunday and then the governor, the next thing we know, he's like, no more than 25 people in a, in a oh, gathering gosh. space. And we're like, okay, so like, how do we love our neighbors? Well, in a, you know, uh, there's right. several churches still meeting despite that. Cause they have, you know, we, we all have, you know, we're, we're considered essential and all those types of exemptions. And, but we, you know, we had to wrestle with that. And I think even the Lord saying to me is like, don't move until I tell you to move. Yeah. Like, yeah. You don't know what to do. Like, yes, we're, we're working through it and, and we're praying through it and we're trying to, as a team and you guys as well, you know, but we don't know. We don't yeah. know. Like, and I could talk to this person or that person. They're going to give me good insights. But at the end of the day, I need to hear from what he's saying, but that means That's I have right. to pause and to, yeah. to soak it in. And that really leads us to the, the next part of this conversation, Tim, which is really about having a long view. Um, and and I, I think we've hit on some of those things that really are going to sustain us because I agree with you. What would it look like to be a healthy, the healthiest version of ourselves when we come back from this, mm -hmm. you know, and we don't know how long this thing's going to go. And I think that's one of the realities that is really daunting for our leader, at least for me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how you feel, but like, I'm, I'm literally like, all right, they said in a month, right? Yeah. Right. Totally. <laughs> and, totally. Like, and, then, and then you get through it and you're like, Whoa, like, like this is probably going to go another nine to 12 months yes. um, at minimum, yep. you know, in some ways. And so I, I love to ask leaders. It's a new question I've been asking. It's like, how, how do you have a long view in the midst of something that just is going to go on, which isn't in the span of our lives is not long, but in the span of what we do, it's very yes. long. And people are, you know, I was just listening to someone talking about how sick, they are in the New York City area. Uh, John Tyson, which yeah. I think you know him, but he yes. he was being interviewed. And he he was uh, saying people just in the New York City area are just sick of coronavirus right now. Everybody's just oh, yeah. sick of it. You know, that's, yeah. that's a lot of people up. have the attitude like, you know what? I yeah, it's dangerous, but I'm sick of being inside, and so I'll take my chances. Yeah. And you know, I think the whole country feels that way. Unfortunately, I think that's part of the, you know, some of the spikes we're seeing. People are like, well, you know, we'll just. At the end of the day, though, it is right. Compared to eternity, we realize it's a season, it's a short pause, but it feels like eternity right now, yeah, yeah. especially as we're like, we're in the middle of summer, and what about the fall? And yeah. here in New Jersey, the governor just said yesterday, you know, yeah, we're going to reopen schools, but all families will have the choice of going virtual. They can do 100% in person if they want. So it's going to be some dog's breakfast of an approach, you know, just like <laughs> some districts hybrid, some doing virtual, some in person. Um, you know, that's going to cause all sorts of havoc for like our children's ministry. Mm -hmm. And so 
you know, it's very, um, it's disorienting. And when I'm disoriented, I just want to get back to solid ground, you know, Terra Nova firm a very, as quick as I can. And that's not going to happen. Like, it's just not going to happen. I think in the spring, we're like, well, maybe by summer, right? And then we were all like, really, summer? <laughs> well, okay, well, maybe by fall. And then you have Annie Stanley being like, yeah, we're not having live services till 2021. <laughs> and you're like, wow, bold move. <laughs> and you're like, well, I guess that's Georgia, I think. Or is that actually <laughs> us too? And then they're like, and this isn't the second wave, right? This yeah. is just the continued first wave. Um, so all that uncertainty, Joe, it's like, we don't really have a choice except mm -hmm. to take the long view. Um, you know, to answer your question specifically, you know, one of my great mentors uh, as a pastor was the guy who first hired me, Peter Pendel. He's a senior pastor of a 150-year-old Baptist church. Took a chance on me, a young guy in his 20s, you know, and um, he's been a spiritual father to me. And, and we still uh, meet regularly every month. Like, like we're getting together this Thursday, you know, first time to see each other with masks, that sort of thing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he said, he goes, just remember, I'm, you know, I'm 27 years old. So just remember, ministry is a marathon, not a sprint. Mm -hmm. And I remember writing that down and saying, well, that's, that's good. That'll preach. Um, but that's because I'm 27 and he's 60. <laughs> he's just out of gas. I can sprint. And the reality is, hey, to your younger listeners, you can. You can sprint for a good long while. What God equipped people to do, the human body is incredible, the heart, the vision. Um, but the marathon piece really is what haunts me now as I'm in my late 40s. I don't know about you. I think when I turned 40, Joe, I, it felt like there was a, I was crossing a threshold. Yeah. It, it, something happened there, you know. And I, I, whenever I talk to leaders who cross a milestone, turning 30, 40, something like that, 50 even, um, they often talk about how there's a little bit of more clarity and gravity because it's like a lot of times, you know, you're probably maybe married by that time and you say, well, I, I know who my spouse is. We've been through some rough patches. Mm -hmm. uh, we know our strengths and our weaknesses. I know who my kids are, right? Kind of who they are and, and they're growing and kind of probably where I'm called. Um, and those things are sort of settled. So a lot of the insecurities of the 20s of having to prove yourself and let me achieve and show that I'm worthy to be in the room, mm -hmm. start settling down in a wonderful way, like I think a really healthy way. Mm -hmm. And you start realizing this is who I am, um, for better or worse, you go, Lord, give me these strengths. These are some glories. Here are some things now I have some security enough to admit I'm really not good at that. Yeah. And then, of course, you, you, you risk saying that in front of other leaders, and they're all just like, yeah, we all know. Thanks for actually acknowledging it. <laughs> Realize for a decade, everybody knew, and you thought you were covering it up, but not really. And, um, and now I'm more starting to think about how do you – I know I'm hoping to be 20 years from, from finishing, but, like, there's so few leaders who finish well. Mm -hmm. Like my mentor, Peter Pindell, like, this is a man who faithfully – one woman, one wife, his wife, Alona, you know, served Millington Baptist Church for 35, 40 years and still walking with Jesus, loving Jesus, learning. He's like, I love hanging out with young pastors. I'm learning so much. And I'm like, how do I do that? How do I pace myself so that in 20 years it wasn't like, oh, yeah, man, the coronavirus just punched me in the chest and I, I never recovered. I limped along for a few years after. Um, Tim Keller, um, talking to Manhattan, he said something interesting when 9-11 happened, he actually, uh, a pastor from Oklahoma City reached out to him because the Oklahoma City federal bombing had happened some years before. And he called Tim Keller and said, hey, I just want to give you a little 
some learnings that I didn't see coming after such a trauma. And he said there was burnout of our church staff three years after the fact. Because the tr- in the trauma, you're like, well, this is what the church was made for. We're here to be a blessing to the city. We want to be healing agents. We want to help. We want to. And so you go into that react and recover mode and you're supporting people and all the wonderful things that the church does when it's at its best in crisis. He said, but because we didn't pace ourselves, it was three years later, we had like 50% turnover of our staff. And we're like, what, what happened? What, what is this? They didn't link it until they realized they just kind of, you know, in a wonderful way, right? Christians want to be sacrificial and self-giving, keep giving to people, especially in crisis who are hurting. But because they didn't practice any soul care, they weren't able to finish well. And so, you know, Keller took that. And he said, we saw something similar at Redeemer, tried to, tried to pace ourselves. But he brought that up for all of us now who are in the middle of this COVID crisis. That while we're seeing some cracks right now, we're like, if we could just survive and get back to normal, <laughs> That doesn't mean there isn't going to be a little bit of a, a longer tail on the spiritual impact on our leaders, our volunteers. Um, and so I'm like, okay, I'm no longer fighting just for my own sustainability and health as a leader. I have to model that mm-hmm. for our people because I want them to flourish. I don't want them to, hey, we survived. We survived Corona, but I'm dead, <laughs> you know, two years after the fact. So now, I don't, I don't have, you know, practical, all practical steps, all that figured out, but that's what's, what's really resonating with me right now when you talk long-term. Yeah. And I, I think even from, from our standpoint, I was going to say, um, and it, as you were saying that, Tim, I, I think not only the way we lead ourselves and lead others, um, one of the things that we're going to do as a staff team, pastoral staff team is we have someone on our, in our church that started a ministry called safe place ministry. And they came to me and said, Hey, um, one of the things we're learning across Christendom right now around the kingdom, not just local churches is that there's so much fatigue happening. And so she, and she said to me, she said, her name's Beth Ann Miller. She said, really want to strongly encourage you to prioritize doing a pastoral debriefing um, Mm. for this season. And so it's like a two day thing that we're going to do. Oh, wow. And really the, the goal isn't, isn't um, just for this moment. That's part of it. But as we step into the next season, whatever that's going to look like, yes, we have had chances, a chance and opportunity to process it because mm-hmm. so few times leaders have a space to do that. But also it's, it's not one, it's, a, it's one thing to have a friend to talk to. And I think that's important, but it's another thing to have a trained professional to yes. help you walk through what it is that you may be feeling and the questions that you may have or the questions that may help to uh, cause you to really wrestle with and answer what's going on, what you're sensing, what you're experiencing. I mean, it's helped me to even start processing now as we're going to get ready for that. Yeah. Hey, what are some of the emotions I'm feeling? You know, I, yeah. I think that there's, there's a lot of gifts that have come, but there, there's a sense of sadness and at times, yes. anger, you know, or even, yeah. um, you know, just the, the, the sense of, like you said, confusion, like what's happening here yeah. right now. And, yeah. I, and I think having people say that to me and, you know, she was like, she's saying, I'm seeing it across the board, you know, she's yeah. Yeah. Um, seeing it across the board and doing these types of things to help leaders. And I think it's important to find, and not everybody can do a debrief or whatever, but, you know, she, sure. 
you know, I think finding places like that to create really long-term health, because what we've experienced in a lot of ways, um, not only is a pandemic, but in some ways there's some traumas, you know, there may be primary traumas or secondary traumas that have taken place, whether you've lost loved ones, whether you've, you know, even the way of life that you once knew, you know, even I think about my son, Ray, who's four and he's saying to me, Hey, I want to go to this place that we would always go to. And I'm like, well, we can't go. And he's like, well, I'll wear a mask. (laughs) <laughs> which, yes. which even for him, like, I know he'll probably wear it for like 10 minutes and be like, I'm done with this thing. But, you know, but even that he's having to think and talk like that. And so I think it's important that we find uh, places and spaces um, to process those things. And yeah. again, I don't, like, I agree with you, Tim. I don't have a full on roadmap. So, hey, this is yeah. how, you, how we're going to create this sustainable pace, but yeah. to prioritize, to fight for, to say, hey, guys, like, we as a church are going to pay for this. We're going to, you know, leverage this opportunity. Um, and we purposely set it out on the front end of the year uh, because I knew that I wanted our team to have a chance to experience debriefing because yes. it's, it's easy to, to take on ministry traumas. And then you add in, like you said, the year of 2020 that just continues to reveal more things yeah. to come. <laughs> so you need, and we as lead pastors need that, you know, but our teams need that too. Yes. To find, to find um, people to do that. And that really leads us to this other part of, of the conversation that I want to have with you, which is really about emotional health. And I know you've mentioned several things. Uh, first, I want to ask you about your emotionally healthy group. And I know you yeah. talked about that. What, I mean, what was that like? Was that like, I mean, tell us a little bit more about that. You know, the, the thing you do with sure. zero. So, you know, the practical handles on this are I, I was just taking inventory in my own leadership, you know, what has been not just an accelerant, but like what has helped, you know, yeah. have that emotional health hmm. to complement the spiritual dimension of leadership. Um, and so I've had four and I encourage, you know, I do a coaching network with lead pastors and I encourage all lead pastors, do whatever it takes, beg, bar, steal, to have four influences in your life apart from the church, a counselor, a coach, a cohort of peers, and then finally a confidant. And that for me is Peter Pendel, the spiritual father as mentioned. And so like right now, um, I am seeing a counselor. I've seen a counselor on and off for years. I just, it's just like changing the oil in my car. You know, there are seasons that I've now (laughs) traveled enough miles on these tires to know I'm not going to wait till the red light goes on. Mm. I'm going to do preventative maintenance. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm going to change the oil at 2,500 miles instead of 3,000 or like I used to in my 20s. Drive it until it's 6,000 and smoke starts coming out. (laughs) (laughs) It's cheaper, right? So a counselor for me is a helpful, right? It's that gifted, trained um, leader and step of the spirit who's able to draw out the deep waters, right? Mm-hmm. The, 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 king, the waters in a king's heart are like deep waters, like the deep purposes of God. Sometimes we need to emotionally process. And just yesterday I was talking to my counselor and I, he named and identified, he said, you just listed several griefs you've gone through that I don't know that you has been fully processed. And I'm like, not at all. In fact, that's exactly <laughs> what this is for yeah. because I'm seeing myself be a little bit more ang- easily angry frustrated at times. And that's not my personality. And when that comes on, it's a red light on my dashboard. 
Anger is just a symptom. It's not actually the, the root issue. And so I use a counselor to then kind of unearth what are those, some of those deeper root issues. And then the second one is my coach. So I do coaching with a guy, Alan Briggs out in Colorado, right side up leadership. We met, we were speaking at some event. We just hit it off. We were having dinner, sat next to each other. And he, um, a coach is different than the counselor in that he gives you actual practical tools now yeah. to get at that. And so he will actually like a good coach, right? Like, Hey, if you can bench press, you know, 50 pounds, but you want to get to a hundred, how do you do that? Well, you know, uh, a good coach will help you incrementally make incrementally make those changes in your life. And so even if it's like, you know, he, this is going to sound crazy, but just go with me. Yeah. Go with it. <laughs> um, one of, he has, there's accountability. Like one of the things he's like, Tim, you're, you, I hear you talking a lot about, you know, zoom fatigue and how it's now blurry with work. It's not nine to five. You, you can work at all times, right? You're yeah. just all blurry and you're sitting and scrolling so much to the screen. Mm -hmm. Sitting is the new smoking, right? Mm -hmm. It's not healthy. Um, so what are some of those things that, you know, the Lord used to replenish you? And I was like, well, I used to mountain bike all the time. So what's keeping you from that? And so now like, that's actually like, I have to, okay. I, Hey, I went mountain biking. He'll be touching me like, awesome, bro. Goal achieved, you know, today. And that sounds silly. You know, it's, but no, you know, it's, it's just so a, important. It's so important because I do think we need, like you said, those four voices and a coach will cheer you on, but will call yes. you out. And I'll call you out. out. You got it. Call you out <laughs> and cheer you. Well said. And, um, and so I found that that, that accountability aspect if I just had the counseling, but didn't have the coach, mm. I know my own weaknesses too much to say that was an awesome session. That was really helpful, but not actually make any changes. <laughs> That's right. That's good. Sound familiar? Yeah, so the, co the cohort that I, the third thing I did, the cohort I did with, with Pete Scazzaro, again, that was just a blessing. Um, I'm friends with Rich Velotis, who was his successor yeah. at New Life Fellowship. And so uh, he was able to wrangle me an invitation to, uh, to Pete's EHS. It was actually for pastors. And it was just a blessing to be a part of because, gosh, you got a view of the global church. It wasn't just pastors in the Northeast, all over the country, but then from Africa, you know, Ghana, countries are like, really? They're, they're integrating emotionally healthy leadership into their discipleship paradigm. And it was, it was, it was wonderful. I could go through it three, through it, uh, three more times yeah. and still not mind the depths. Mm -hmm. But it was a wonderful introduction because different than a coach and a counselor, which is more one-on-one -on -one. in a cohort, you realize you're not alone. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was just me. No, you're completely normal, man. Utterly unique, but completely normal. Mm -hmm. And as you start hearing other people's journeys, what you know, just like this podcast, what's Jesus pruning in you? Um, all of a sudden it stimulates all these different ideas and gives you that, you know, peer to peer, shoulder to shoulder mm -hmm. connection that a lot of pastors don't have, you know, to be honest, right. It's, it's hard. Sometimes there's, you meet for conferences or whatnot, but there's always a lot of posturing and stuff and, and Pete's stuff just strips it back. And just like you said, did me before we got on this podcast, right? Okay, bro, you've got nothing to prove and no one to impress. In fact, the more you try to do that, the less impressive it'll be. So that, that group transparency was essential. It was over zoom, by the way, which I was curious how that was going to go, but I don't know if you found this, but I'm finding in the small groups for some people, yes, it can be tiring if you've been on, on video calls all day. Other people who, when they meet in person, they're super quiet, right? When you try to draw them out, yeah. for whatever reason, now they feel, they actually talk more. <laughs> and so some of the introverts feel maybe a little bit of the, that, that barrier gives them some level of safety. So there was a lot of transparency uh, in that group, which I was just really grateful for. 
So those, those three things, counselor, coach, a cohort, and the last one is a confidant. I call it that. You could call it a mentor. Uh, I think it's so critical to have a spiritual father in your life. Uh, after my father, my father was that, my biological father, he passed away uh, at the age of 74. And Peter Pendell has really been a, a spiritual father to me. He wasn't just the first guy to hire me, but, you know, he is outside the organization. And just meeting with somebody who has miles on the odometer, you know, uh, 70 years old and is finishing well, is flourishing. Ugh, that's vital. For a guy in his 40s say, it can be done. Yeah. You don't have to read about all the affairs and scandals. And, you know, you're, we're just seeing, right, you and I are just watching all these car wrecks on the side of the road of these leaders, global leaders, right, whose wheels are just falling off the vehicle and it's upside down. You're like, is that just inevitable? No. Mm. You can flourish in your marriage. Your family can actually grow up and love the church. Mm. We can make mistakes, repent, be forgiven, prune your leadership. Yeah. but actually finish well, the marathon. You may be sucking wind by the end, um, but that, that's life-giving to me, to spend time with older men and women, spiritual yeah. fathers and mothers in the faith, so that I have something to strive for. No, that's so good. I was going to say, too, one of the things that I think is so important that Tim just mentioned, and every leader needs to think about this, all four of those roles are really roles that they're not seeking something from you, uh, meaning yes. there. Yeah. So Tim and I serve and we have great churches and we love our people, but you know, and we have a great staff team that we work with yeah. and you know, we're, we're so thankful for all those things. But a lot of times what happens is with a leader and the more your identity is what you do, those yeah. things start to, the relationships start to be really um, can be one sided or they're yeah. based on what you can do for somebody. And that doesn't mean that every relationship within the organizations like that, there's sure. obviously a lot of mutually beneficial relationships that we have or we wouldn't be where we are. But I think it's important to note, though, that you do need like a, a, a board of, of trustees around you. That When I think about what you just yeah. described, it's yeah. like, hey, I've got these board of, of trustees in my life who yes. are speaking in different places and spaces to really help um, me to discern what it is that God's saying and has for me. And I, I think even as you look at the book, Emotionally Healthy Leader, I think it's Cazero, mm. man, I, that, I read that book like five times, dude. Yeah, it's great. It is, it is so good. But I think even as you, as you read through that and even have the long view in mind, I think recognizing that God is so much after us understanding what he says of us and has for us. Someone said to me that he had a pastor tell him, hey, you know, it's all about your fruitfulness, all about your fruitfulness. Faithfulness is overrated. And my buddy was like, what? And I was like, I was like, yo, 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 yo. Like, <laughs> by the way, does the Lord say, well done, good and fruitful servant? No. No. <laughs> I was like, he, so says, <laughs> he says, good and faithful servant. And I think one of the things that we have to be careful with, with the underbelly of anything, culturally speaking, uh, American culture, um, the church culture, evangelicalism, is the, the pursuit and the chase of what is deemed a success yes. at all costs. Yeah. And then when we get that, we hold on to that. But the at all costs may mean the loss of our marriage, may mean the loss of wow. an integrated life, totally. may mean uh, you know all kinds of things. And the sad is the evangelical church, not everybody, but a lot of people applaud that. Like, yeah, 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 look at this Absolutely. guy. 
and look at him. He's in the spotlight. Look at her. Like, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, this is these are the heroes. Sure. And then yeah. when they fall, oftentimes we shoot them. Right. And they're like, God's done right. with you. Like, yep. you know, <laughs> like we're done with you. <laughs> but that's American are, culture, man. You put them on a pedestal just so you can tear them down. And it's like, wait a minute. Like, yeah. do we have a proper view of even understanding what success truly is? Agreed. And and what God is calling us to. And I, that's one of the things I appreciate so much about Scazzaro is. He really helps to, like you said so well, strip it down. But I think all those words, and again, we all have this common experience, but yet we're utterly unique. So we're not going to fully agree with everything Scazzaro says or does, you know, like that's not the point. Sure. And vice versa, right? Like it's not about making carbon copies of somebody else, but we respect and value his voice. And I don't know, I just, I find that so interesting to think about, even as we look at the long view and emotional health. Hey, do you know what it means to be successful based off who God has made you to be and yes. what he's asked of you? And yes. If, and if you haven't done that work, I want to really encourage you during this season to pull away. Oh, yeah. To those, four, those four voices that Tim talked about, uh, man, to, to get with them, to let them kind of help work to that counselor, right? You know, a, a cohort. Um, yeah. Um, a coach, right? I jumped with yeah. a coach, a cohort, and then a confidence. You know, those yeah. those four are really important because, yeah. again, they're going to help even bring clarity to who you are and what God's saying and to help you stay on part of that. Like, I have friends who are doing that for me right now. Like, there's some exciting stuff happening. And they're like, hey, I heard you say this, but that's not who you are. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. Are. like like hey yeah that that you know but that that's going to require more administration you're not an administrator i'm right, not right you know? that's right <laughs> like, right like, that's i'm right. not like i'm not yeah i'm not wired up that way or or even like coming to clarity around you know how the team has to be reorganized that's right uh, based off who i am and what god's yeah. called me to like hey i'm a visionary yes a preacher you know a teacher these are things i am but if I have to stay too much in the executive functions, right? Not that they're right. not a priority. Create systems, structures, manage people, all yes, those yes. things. It it does something to me, you know. It, it, I'm operating yes. in a place that's unnatural. Yes. I'm constantly that's stressed right. out, and I become the lid to the organization. And I think yes. really, really understanding just very with great clarity, you know, what God's saying of you and has for you. And I, and I don't mean to take us on a rabbit trail, but I think it's important because if we're going to stay healthy and go the distance, yes, we, we can't chase somebody else's vision or what the expectation of culture is or evangelicalism, you know, yep. whatever we put on the pedestal. But what is our Heavenly Father say yes. to us? And I think that's why it's so important to stay close to Jesus because you see so much hiddenness in his life. You know, for yeah. 30 years, he wasn't seen. That's right. Then when he would do things, he'd say, hey, I'm going to do this and I've done this, but don't tell anybody. <laughs> right. <laughs> What's, what is that? Well, it's, it's him understanding very confidently his identity. Yes. And, that's I, think, right. and I think for us, it's so important. Well, Tim, did you have anything else that you wanted to say on the emotional health stuff? No, I just echo what you said. You know, if you want a, a good starting point, I, I I'm with you. I recommend that emotionally healthy leader uh, book that, that came out, um, I think it's a couple of years ago now. Yeah. Pete Pete actually has some resources. If you go to emotionallyhealthy.org, <laughs> I'm here. I'm promoting Pete's website here, but That's it's awesome, worth man. it. Do it. He's got a a a, 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 um, 
a lot of free resources that you can use with a team. So all you need is one other person. I, that's the one mistake I think I made when I first read the book. I read it alone. Hmm. And I'm like, you know what? I need to read that book again, like you, do it three or four times. But I need to do it with others yeah. so that I can have people to process with. And so it, it moves out of the idea <laughs> uh, realm in my brain. Oh, that's a good idea to more like, how are we going to work this out, you know, in, in our common life with Christ? So I do think, you know, not speaking prophetically here, but I just, I've, I've noticed this and I think it's coming. It's a wave that's coming. Mm-hmm. When we do regather, whatever the aftermath looks like for, and I think it'll be like 9-11, right? Everybody, there were two or three years there mm-hmm. uh, of the impact, at least in Manhattan, where we are in Jersey. Um, I think our discipleship, will become much more about emotional health because this isolation, we are seeing record levels of depression, anxiety, stress, um, all, the, all the things that we knew were epidemic already in our culture just got amplified times 10. And with every now month that goes by, th- this is unhealthy. This is, this is a, this is unhealthy. And so again, opportunity for the church, you know, our discipleship paradigm at liquid was definitely shocker, more activistic, more about doing, (laughs) right. You know, and that's awesome. We're going to continue to do that. There is discipleship power in people serving sacrificially and volunteering and giving and being in small groups. And we're going to do all that. But I think there's going to be a transitional season where you're going to need not just the doing for Jesus, but being with, and how do I do that beyond just my personal devotions? So, you know, Pete is very big on the daily office, which is segmented times during the day to be with Jesus, which is almost wholesale different than the American version of devotions. You know, every pastor, right? Spend time in the word, get up early. Jesus got up early. He stole away to be with the father. (laughs) Actually, Jesus did that periodically throughout the day, right? There was a hidden rhythm to his life. And I grew up with the American version of devotions. Okay, quiet time with the Lord. Let me, you know, feed up on scripture, fill up on, on the spirit. And then here we go, Jesus, ready? <gasps> Hold your breath. And then basically <laughs> hold, just drain it until you come limping home, you know, six o'clock at night. You're completely depleted, emotionally frazzled. Try to not yell at the kids. And tomorrow you fill her up again. And Pete is, is challenged me and said, you have to practice the presence of God at fixed times throughout the day. There's no way you, that, that feast or famine is not healthy to stay in the practicing the presence of God through breath prayers. Cause you can't necessarily peel away for an hour, right? You know, yeah. three times a day. And he's not saying that, but he's saying consciously practice that through breath prayers, through silence and solitude, mm-hmm. even if it's 15 minutes pulling away at lunchtime to reacquaint yourself with the father's love and his voice so that you can then be replenished for then the next, you know, three, four hours. That is a revolutionary idea. I am, I will not say at all that I am a master of it. I am dabbling and fumbling with it. Um, but I'm finding like, I think that's the kind of discipleship that we're going to see a, uh, a pivot to in a post COVID world. Well, and I, I agree with you, man. Because I, I think even before all this happened, like you said, all these issues were, were taking place. And then I think even the family story piece of that, the geneagram, which yes. there is big on that, I think it's really important too. Because 
I don't know. I, I think it's easy to get these practices, like, uh, you know, whether it's yeah. activism or even contemplative spirituality. But if you don't, if you don't get to some of the root stuff, like we're yeah. describing, like, why am I angry? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or, like, yeah, yeah. or even like to practice the presence of the Lord enough to know, like, wait a minute. Like I was, you know, before we got on this, I was walking and I was like, the Lord's saying to me very clearly, hey, I'm not asking you to figure this out. I'm asking you to spend time with me to let me show you. Yeah. You don't know what you're doing and that's okay. Yeah. Like it's yeah. okay. Like, but it, don't keep grasping for straws, grasp for my hand. Yes. Yes. And let me lead yes. you. Don't grasp for yes. straws, grasp for my hand and let me, let me show you the way. And he's such a good father to do that. And, that's you know, right. you know, I, I think for all of us, you know, when we have, um, you know, those seasons in our lives where maybe our father's, we're actively in a role involved in our lives. Like your, your father was, man, sounds like a great, great guy. And he passed away, you know, a couple of years ago. I know my father-in-law passed away in 2011 mm-hmm. and that was really hard. And my dad left when, when I was young and then came back. And we, I think we sometimes have to even work through like, Hey, what does it mean to work through those things so that I can see my father as he truly is. And he yes. can see me as, as, and I can, you know, I can see him as he truly is and I can see how he sees me and to walk in that. And so as we think about going forward in emotional health, one of the other layers to this whole crazy time <laughs> is the uh, racial hostility um, oh, that yeah. has been going on right now in our culture. Um, and it's not new in the sense that, you know, it, it's not like a new thing that has happened, uh, but it's new in the sense that it's, it's really, um, come into the, the forefront in, in some fresh ways and conversations are happening. And so I just wanted to ask you, Tim, you know, how have you led liquid toward racial healing in the midst of racial hostility? Mm, yeah. So that's part of the nesting dolls, right? In the middle of, yeah. of isolation, you have this racial reckoning that's happening that I think Joe is, I actually think there is uh, a spiritual revival component to it. Yeah, yeah. You know, at the beginning of, the, of COVID, everyone was like, oh my gosh, maybe we're going to have a you know, spiritual awakening. You know, people realize the fragility of life and they're going to come and masses to Christ. And we're all praying for that. We'd love to see that. And then all of a sudden it's like, wait, what? <laughs> um, what? Ahmaud Arbery, George Floyd, a decentralized yeah. Black Lives Matter. Like, wait, what? <laughs> and um, I think it is as spiritual and historically profound as a spiritual awakening, mm. uh, as it were, just not necessarily religious. This racial reckoning is, I think, the chickens coming home to roost on the church for our abdication of yeah. biblical justice. Mm. You would not lead some of these organizations that are, you know, if the church had actually picked up the mantle of biblical justice right. and preached Christ as, the, as the, the battering ram that rips down the dividing wall of hostility between the races. So, you know, there's an opportunity here. I am praying the church doesn't blow it. Um, we've been a, pretty aggressive about it at Liquid. One of our blessings, uh, and I think strengths as a church, is just the way the Lord has chosen to, to um, compose our, our family, is that we are a pretty racially diverse church. Yeah. Um, we're, you know, our, the, the white population is about 58%, uh, 22% uh, Latino um, that's a very large growing population in New Jersey, about 10% uh, African-American, hmm. uh, and the remainder Asian. 
Um, so we look like New Jersey, which yeah. I always feel, I'm like, I don't love like those kind of artificial quotes. Like we just want to be multi-ethnic. It's like, well, you want to look like the community you're serving. <laughs> yeah. You're like, that doesn't impress anybody. And I don't think that's what God's necessarily calling every church to do, but you should at least look like the people you're trying to reach. And so by God's grace, we have done that. We still have miles to go, uh, you know, I, I, I think. But, um, you know, it was really helpful to me to say, wow, we have just been assuming this will naturally happen. And because we are diverse uh, ethnically, we will be able to have these conversations in a wonderful, unimpeded way where nobody steps on anybody's toes. They say very sensitive things and nobody gets political. Oh my gosh. What a friggin' disaster. It's like, it's like da- tap dancing through a, a minefield, right? <laughs> like, I'll what just, a great image. <laughs> what a great image. It is. I, I literally showed our staff the other day. I mean, with our pastors, I said, let me show you two emails that I received back to back within 30 minutes of each other. And the first email, all caps, you know, when someone goes all caps subject line, you know it's going to be good, right? <laughs> and literally, it was all caps, does Black Lives Matter to Liquid Church? Three question marks. <laughs> And I read it, you know, it's three paragraphs and with no periods, just, yeah. and they were upset that we didn't have some sort of statement on our website. Um, now, what we were doing is we were encouraging actually our pastors to use all their social media channels on a, on a grassroots level, because we don't want to be political. We're like, we want to, we want to actually get down and show solidarity with people of color who are hurting. Let's get down and dirty and do the pastoral work. So, but they hadn't been on any social media channels. So they were very upset. They, they were like, why don't we, haven't we said something about Black Lives Matter? Literally under 30 minutes, the next email in my queue, the, the subject line was why we're leaving Liquid Church. And the punchline was because you talk so much about Black Lives Matter. Mm. <laughs> like think of that, right? Two people who are experiencing the exact same message, exact same communication, and seeing it through a completely different lens. Shocker, both of them were a little bit more political. Yeah. One was concerned with, you know, kind of a Trump, you know, white thing. And the other was looking at it through the lens of, you know, the, the, the BLM uh, movement. Yeah. And, you know, and I talk, you know, of course, when those things happen, um, it's so important that you have your security in Christ. It's and hard. You know, you've been, it's hard. Because it's like, uh, it's like uh, you know, I think no matter what, you, like you said, it's like tap dancing in a mind build. <laughs> because it really is right now because you're dealing with people. Um, and I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm learning this. It's like you, you went too far. You didn't go far enough. Yes. And there's a real sense of people. Look, I don't know, back to the emotional health conversation, if they've done the deep soul part of their journey. That's yet. right. Nope. So the cause becomes, you know, I mentioned Beth Ann Miller. She says, uh, it's great to have a cause, but be careful that the cause doesn't become the master. That's right. And that Christ becomes your cause. He's the one. And then he'll lead you to, you know, how you healthy in a healthy way. But she calls it like the radical middle. You know, she says, Jesus was in the radical middle, not moderate, but the radical middle. That's right. And, and, And with that, it's so hard because okay. you're, you're having to really deal with um, the kingdom, two kingdoms competing, you know, yes. the, the kingdom of, of God or the political kingdom of this world. Yes. And I think really having to sort through that. 
Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I, I didn't mean to cut you off there. I just was like, when you were no, saying, that's... I, just, I wanted to empathize with you because I'm like, yeah, someone else is feeling what I'm feeling. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I'll tell you that, that resonates with me, the radical middle, you know, I told our staff, I said, here's the deal. My, my vision is that we would be a church that is all about uh, and known for building bridges. Yeah. But right. here's the thing. If you're going to be a bridge builder, it means you're going to get hit with rocks from both sides. Because mm-hmm. you're standing in the middle. You're reaching out to one over here, and then you get a rock from the other side. And then they see you reaching out over there, they're like, oh, now they're leaning left. And they're getting hit with a rock from the other side. So it's not sexy work. To me, the gift here, Joe, is we are in this unprecedented moment where there is a level of, of wokeness happening, I think, yeah. with white, mainstream, middle-class evangelicals who I think in some weird way God's using the pandemic. It's like... We're not as distracted. We don't have sports. We don't have shopping, going out to all those things that perhaps allowed people to stay asleep. Now it's like there's this period where it's like every day you're waking up and watching brown and black bodies being beaten on your cell phone. You're like, wait, what the heck? Mm -hmm. This is, and so now there is, I think this uh, beautiful spiritual um, curiosity or receptivity now where people, you know, you're seeing all the books sell out. Um, right now, um, some of the best, um, I think, writing in a generation. So we are reading, I can recommend this to anybody listening, um, Be the Bridge yeah. by Latasha Morrison. Phenomenal, Christ-centered, but a template and blueprint for how do you have these conversations? And she is an African-American woman, beautiful woman, leader, thoughtful. She worked in a white church in Texas, has all those stories. But you know, everyone loves, they love the idea Mm-hmm. of racial reconciliation but they want the magic wand version you yeah. know a three-week series and now we have some hugs and people say yeah we're all just one you know and it's like actually biblical reconciliation involves oh, a reckoning that is painful a recognition of like wow you know i think a lot of people are like well, what why are we talking about slavery i, I don't know it's, I, I have nothing to do with that but recognizing some of those, um, what the Bible calls iniquity, right? The Bible talks about sin, but also talks about iniquity. And sin is on a more personal level. But iniquity is when sin almost gathers momentum and it snowballs. And it becomes so powerful that it's actually woven into the fabric of the very institutions. And so when the psalmist says, Lord, you know, forgive my sins and forgive our iniquity. Mm-hmm. It's talking about a more of a national repentance which americans know nothing about right it's always just me and jesus my personal sin and i'm not racist so what's the problem uh and then you know even reparations like oh my gosh you say a word like reparations it's like oh my gosh so now this is a democratic socialist it's like <laughs> no it's zacchaeus <laughs> zacchaeus said uh, you know what jesus has come to my house i see the error of my ways here and now I give back what I've ripped off. <laughs> and if I've stolen anything, I will repay it at four times the amount. And so I'm not talking about financial reparations, but what does that mean to actually now say, you know what? I'm going to intentionally use my gunpowder, my influence, my platform to open doors and help my black brothers and brown sisters um, in ways and opportunities they may never have received. Mm-hmm. But gosh, I, I didn't recognize you call it privilege, call it whatever you want. But like, I've had opportunities that I just thought everybody had, not everybody has. And so at Liquid, we've been helping, we've been coming alongside some of our black brothers and sisters who lead inner city churches in Camden, in Trenton, in, uh, in Jersey City, down in Philadelphia. 
And we're helping them through this COVID thing. We're saying, you know what? We just ordered a couple tractor trailers worth of $30,000 of food and emergency supplies. You want some? You want half? And they're like, yeah, how much? We're like, free, because we're in it together. We're kingdom right. brothers and sisters. So like that's the, that is the messy roll up your sleeves work of reconciliation. So, you know, we're, we're trying to take active steps in that way as a church together, but then also this is the hard work, discipling our people. How can they do that on a personal level? Yeah. How, without stepping on those landmines, right? Without saying, oh my gosh, this is all just election political stuff. No, no, no. This is kingdom of God work. That's right. You know, Jesus is, yes, he is the bridge. He, he, he bridged the gap between us and the father, but he's also the battering ram. That's right. Who the cross knocked down the dividing wall of hostility so that we could be one in Christ. So it really is. It's not a political thing for us. We make a, a very, very big kingdom dis- issue, you know, and I, yes. think that, I think people, like, I told people uh, when we talked about this, I said, man, before it was a political or cultural issue, it was a kingdom issue. You know, and I know that there's implications for both of those pieces, but for us, it's a, you know, and I listen to you share, it's like, man, this is a kingdom of God thing. This is really about, it's so much easier to tear things down or deconstruct things versus to say, hey, we know things need to be rammed down, but we're going to rebuild and build bridges, which I think on both sides, you hear a lot of like, let's just tear this whole thing down, depending on what it is they're talking about (laughs) versus... Like, hey, no, wait a minute. Like, I'm called to do the hard work of relating to people, building the bridge, being an advocate for change. It's, it's easier to just be like, all right, this is what, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm anti this. And I think we do need to be anti-racist. So please hear me when I'm clarifying. Sure. Here. But I do think we got to be more than just what we're against. What are we working towards? 100%. How, you know, we, we got to, you know, it can't, it can't be so... Um, this or that it's an and it's a nuance it's that's a, right it's relationships it's conversations it's why i think for us even like we said zoom can be helpful but the 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 zoom zombie-ness of uh, of of doing it this way um while while it's helpful in this season it's difficult to not have in-person conversations about subjects like this it's yes. difficult to just have social media conversations around oh. this, you know because really yeah. you can only go so far yeah. and everything's politically charged and it's viewed through that lens. Yes. Listen, I want to ask a couple of questions. You got time for two more questions? Sure. Sure. I want to be mindful of your, your schedule here, man. No, Uh, man. It's uh, energizing to talk. (laughs) I know we're going a little over here. So I I wanted to to ask you, um, I know you, you are also an author, man. um, And you've written two books. (laughs) <laughs> this is incredible, man. Congratulations. Beyond starting a church, which is awesome, um, and, and God's using you there, you've, you've written two books. So I wanted the audience who's listening in um, to, for you to t- tell us about those books. And also, I want to add a third thing um, in here, too, as you talk about things you're uh, doing. I would love for you to share about the cohort you're leading. Um, and how people can get involved in that. And I know it's a little different right now with everything going on, but, but if you could just walk us through those, those three uh, things, I think it'd be helpful for people just to get to know you more, to hear more of your heart uh, sure. through those, those places. So the first book uh, that I wrote um, is called You Married the Wrong Person. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. And I wanted to to write a book um, that men might actually read. (laughs) (laughs) 
which women would appreciate, right? Like most, most guys, like you you know, you get an amazing profound book, like the meaning of marriage by you know, Tim and Kathy Keller. It's amazing. There's also like, you know, 200 plus pages. And, yeah. you know, I was like, I need one that men would actually take to the bathroom and they'd be able to go through a little bit and have laugh along the way. It came out of a sermon series I did. And really the, the, the principle that the idea is the big idea is this, we all marry the wrong person. Every single person is like, I want to find the right person. I want to find my God-given match. And the only person in the world that can complete me. That's the Jerry Maguire fallacy. Yeah, yeah. There's actually many people can complete you. The question is, what are you going to do when you wake up with this sinner <laughs> the day after? And, uh, you know, at Liquid, we are obviously pro-marriage, pro-family. But, you know, whenever we do these weddings, I'm noticing, particularly millennials, Gen Z is going to be moving now into the marriage bracket the focus is always on the wedding, yeah. you know, the, the event, the big day. And we're like, no, 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 we can do better than this. We ha this has to be about the marriage. And so we do a, a marriage mentoring program now mm. where we take a couple who is engaged moving towards marriage. We pair them with an older, wiser, seasoned couple, not one who has a perfect marriage. That's the key. It's people who've been through rough spots. Uh, people have been even on the brink of divorce, but they're now on the other side. Mm. And they are able to mentor them through the engagement into the wedding and then stick with them for two years after when the inevitable, you know, ups and downs come and the, the honeymoon glows wears off. And so we use that little book. Um, you know, we actually self published it at liquid because we said, let's just give it away for free. So if people are interested in that, they can email uh, my assistant, Janet. I'm sure we have some copies laying around the office. Uh, you know, it's something that we give out to young couples. It's funny. Awesome, it talks, about my own failures as a husband, you know, I, I, I thought we'd be, you know, I, went, I found Colleen and, and, and we're gonna be mountain biking and making love all the time. It's just gonna be one incredible paradise island. And wah, 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 you know, we really thought, like, I think she probably thought, she can't, got onto it quicker. She's like, I definitely married the wrong person. He's a slob. <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm glad to know I'm not alone in that. Uh, that, that. That happened for me as well with Amy. She said that the exact same thing. Continue yeah. on. Yeah. So was, there's a liberation in that. And say, yeah. if you married the wrong person, if you're thinking like, this person's going to complete me, mm -hmm. they're not. They're going to sanctify you. Mm. Uh, their job isn't to make you just happy. Marriage isn't about happiness, it's about holiness. Mm. And um, they're going to prune some of the leaves and the bark off the tree. And you can kick and scream against that and think, oh no, I'm just, I gotta, I, you know, and a lot of people do, right? You find, you find more and more couples divorcing after 12 years of marriage. Like, bro, you made it a decade? And they're like, no, I gotta find someone who makes me happy. You know, we're just not happy anymore. Well, <laughs> if that's the only goal, you know, I, I can't remember who said it, um, but it, it is so true. If you go after happiness is the goal of marriage, you may or may not, and many people, the majority now, are not. But if you go after holiness, you not only get God and companionship, you get happiness thrown in. Mm -hmm. um, because when we actually make it about Christ and what's he going to have to change in me, prune in me, so I can be a better husband for her spiritual growth. Oh, I thought she was going to sacrifice for me. Oh, and now you are competing to sacrifice for each other. That's when you get the flywheel of marriage. Mm -hmm and those, those uh, beautiful fruits that Colleen and I are now enjoying. We celebrated our 22nd anniversary Dude, congratulations. on Sunday. Dude, that's uh, awesome, man. That's huge. It is. And, and, you know, that is something for maybe perhaps the church leaders and pastors listening. One of the breakthrough principles in my own life 
has been I am an interim pastor at Liquid. Uh, I was a founder, that's true, and that was a special thing, but I'm the interim pastor. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, the church is Jesus's bride, but Colleen is my bride. Mm. And so she is my first church. She's my first congregation. Mm -hmm. And uh, I talk in the book, uh, we can move on past this, but I, you know, no, I talk sure. pretty I candidly it. about uh, early burnout uh, I, that she and I went through uh, because we had two children under the age of five. I'm a young pastor. We just launched this church. Praise God, it's growing. People are showing up. And she's like, she's a high capacity woman. She's just like, I need you at home more. And I just kicked the can down the road. I was like, after our first Christmas, after our first small groups campaign, after our first fill in the blank, right? And I came home and she was crying on the couch, mascara running down. I thought something happened to one of our children, Joe. Like, she's not histrionic. And I said, what is it? What is it? And I, I ran over and she said, I can't, you know, she's crying, choking back tears. I said, what is it? And somebody, she said, you love her more than me. And I said, what? You love her more than me. I was like, well, I don't even know what she's saying. Love her, love who more than you? Like, is she accusing me of an affair? And she says, that church, that stupid church. <gasps> and somewhere in the distance, I heard a rooster crow. Because <laughs> I swore I'd never be that guy, right? Who sacrifices his family in marriage on the altar of ministry. And yet here I was, ministry had become my mistress. And so I talk about that in the book. That was one of my cardinal sins. You married the wrong person um, that I had to repent of. But, you know, true repentance is not just, and I, of course, I immediately apologize. I'm so sorry. I, I, I didn't see how much I was hurting your heart. Uh, but true repentance is action, change, true change. And so we took a machete to my schedule. I talk about in the book how we began slicing, how many nights out a week I would be. I put a moratorium on all outside speaking for 10 years. Actually said, you know what? You are my first priority. The children are my second. Jesus actually is first. So the, the church is fourth when you count it that way. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, Colleen, the kids, and then the church. And so the church actually didn't suffer because inevitably when your marriage is healthy, the church is much healthier. Yeah. But I was just, it had to say ruthlessly no to so many things for a season of my life. And that was the key. Andy Stanley always says, it's not no forever. It's no for now. And now we're bearing, you know, we're enjoying the fruits of that because our children, my, my, old, my youngest, uh, or my oldest, I should say, is going to college in the fall. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, um, I was there for all those moments. I didn't miss out on the, you know, the, the high school volleyball games and the fishing. And, and, oh, I do not regret making that choice. So there are those little symbolic choices early in marriage that, I, and I, you know, 10 years in, 20 years in, that we're all still making. So it's a, it's a fun little book. Uh, have, I think you can find Amazon, but just email my assistant. So here, I won't give out her e email address because if people are like, I'd like to find out about that or coaching or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Her name is Janet, but it has two N's in it. So it's J-A-N-N-E-T, Janet at liquidchurch.com. Mm -hmm. um, she's my assistant. She keeps my, because I read every email, but I'm not able to respond always to everyone. And whenever people say like, oh, can I get you know, that book or I want to mention the coaching network, just email Janet. She's got an extra N in her name for nice. <laughs> she's a super she woman. Is, she's really great to work with because uh, I've oh, emailed her several times and she's always responsive and very pleasant to deal with. And even when I've dropped the ball on something, very gracious. <laughs> like yes. She's waiting for something on my end. Sure. Uh, she's, she's always gracious to be, hey, this thing is scheduled. Like, I just want to make sure, where, you know. She's good. great. 
So the, uh, the second book real quick is the one that just came out. And this oh. one we actually published with Zondervan. Um, they uh, said, you know, we'd, we'd be interested because I, I lead this coaching network for senior pastors, lead pastors uh, in the Northeast. It's, it's called the, uh, the Northeast Lead Pastors Coaching Network. And it really is about sharing some of these uh, transferable principles of leadership. Um, it's not so much focused on the like emotional, healthy, you know, spirituality. It's more on, Hey, here are some of the things that you just don't learn in seminary. <laughs> like most of us are just kind of making up as we go along, but gosh, we've made every mistake at liquid. Uh, we started as an accidental church plant. You know, uh, my wife, and I started 12 people in a Baptist church basement, mm-hmm. uh, started meeting in a hotel, had enough money to last three months, almost burned out, you know, uh, then we launched a second campus, almost killed us. We made every mistake in the book. We said, yeah. you know, classic like child raising mentality. Oh, what we do for one, we do for the other, yeah. right? Sounds good. Total disaster, financially, staffing model, all that. And, uh, you know, as we've at every level, three campuses, five campuses, seven campuses, we've learned so much. We know how to do, you know, a small church in a movie theater, you know, with a hundred people, what that looks like. But we know how to do, you know, renovate a warehouse and put 2000 people in it. And uh, we've done church pretty much everywhere and made every mistake in the book. So the people at Zondervan were like, Hey, could you put that collective wisdom, kind of the unique story of liquid into a, a book? It's a leadership book. Um, and I co-wrote it with Warren bird, Dr. Warren bird, who I think, you know, Joe, right? Yeah, Great guy. Yep. He's a gift to the global church. Yep. And, um, and Warren is a national researcher. So it's not just this, it's called liquid church, six powerful currents to saturate your city for Christ. Mm. So the vision of liquid church, obviously beyond the liquid metaphor comes out of Ezekiel 47, where Ezekiel has this vision of the temple and he sees water trickling out of the doors of the temple. Mm. And he's like, we know what happened The pipes burst, the, you know, baptismal overflow, what happened? And he traces it. And what happens is, as Ezekiel sees the water or liquid flowing out of the temple, so it's a liquid church, mm. the farther he wades in, the deeper it gets. Mm. So it's up to his ankles, and he goes a little bit farther out of the church. It's up to his knees, a little bit farther. It's up to his waist until it's finally over his neck, and he almost gets swept away in this raging river of revival. And it's a picture of the Holy Spirit flowing through the New Testament church. And I call it three degrees of saturation. Right. We all are trying to, as you guys are trying to saturate the valley for Christ, you see these spiritually thirsty people. Some of them, they're, you know, post-Christian, they know about Jesus, but not interested in the church. Others are like, I don't really know anything about Christianity. And we said, you know, what's happening with other churches that are saturation churches around America? And so Dr. Bird, um, we have national research of, uh, you know, hundreds of churches, but we profile almost 50 of them. Uh, we'd call it, you know, churches that are making waves. Mm. And with that Ezekiel 47 vision of when you, here's the key, that this is, this is the most important principle. If you want a faithful church, a healing church, one that is flowing in the power of the Holy Spirit, the Ezekiel 47 kind of prophecy says, hey, the further the river flows away from the church, the deeper it goes. Mm. So if you've ever had, every pastor has had people say, I just wish, pastor, we would go deeper. <laughs> what they mean by that right is just use a little bit more greek in your sermons you know so that they think they're learning something special but the reality is the vision of ezekiel 47 says no man people gotta get out of their seats and into the streets 
mm-hmm. to reach non-Christian people who are far from Christ with the gospel. That's how you go deep. And so we profile six what we call currents because a river, that, again, that, that, you know, there's a reason Jesus said, rivers of living water will flow from within you. In Ezekiel 47, I just encourage your, your readers to read it devotionally, meditate on it. It's so powerful. I read it before. I never understood what it meant. Mm. But this picture that there's always a next level for your church to go deeper yeah. in the things of the spirit. And I think COVID is one of those opportunities. Mm. And so we profile six powerful currents that we see churches that are, I would say, innovative, kingdom breaking, reaching Generation Z and millennials. Because millennials are so interested. You know, it, people are like, oh, you know, they're spiritually pluralistic. They're not, don't believe in church. No, no, no. They just don't want to be bored. And they want to be involved. They don't just want to be consumers. And so, like, hey, if you're tired of consumer Christianity, man, man, things are happening now where millennials in droves are saying, hey, man, um, I'm not sure I understand everything about Jesus, but I will actually take time off and pay to go on a clean water trip to Africa. Because I want to see the difference faith in Christ makes. And so for us, right, older generation, I'm Gen X, so I kind of like, I can speak both, you know, I understand boomers and builders because they were my (laughs) mentors, but I also speak, you know, millennials and I have Gen Z in my own house. Um, I try to translate the two and in a wonderful way, discipleship is changing. So what Dr. Bird and I even talk about is in the past 40 years of the church, there's been this linear pathway of right you come to christ join the church go to you know 101 christianity uh then you go 201 start serving and maybe we make you a you know home run disciple you can perhaps go on a mission trip someday um millennials are the opposite they want to slide headfirst into third base (laughs) they're like i want to go out and serve the homeless in new york city during the covid crisis because if we're not doing that i'm not sure i'm really interested in this faith because i don't think it has actually rubber meets the road uh, practical impact. Um, I want to see what you guys do about racial justice uh, because it's not enough just my personal sense to be forgiven. I want to understand how Jesus is changing the world. And so, man, this is a powerful moment. And so we just kind of in the book, you know, Liquid Church, um, we go through these six powerful currents we see sweeping through the church nationally, globally, and then also tell some, some really practical tools that churches of any size, anywhere, can use and put into practice on Monday morning. Yeah. I want to encourage you guys to get both books and you can find that book on Amazon or wherever you buy books. Um, Tim has really, I think done a great job teaming even with Warren Bird, uh, Dr. Warren Bird on really making it helpful and you can get, you know, it has handles on it so you can grab a hold of it. <laughs> so it's not just like, Oh man, like, I got to become liquid. That's not even the point no. of the book. It's nope. really about, hey, no, what's the kingdom vision and blueprint that he has for you and your church? You know, and I love that analogy of the yeah. river. And like, you know, it yeah. go, the, the further you get away from the building. <laughs> right? Right? The, more you, <laughs> the, the church river. has left the building. It may not feel like, uh, like, wait, I didn't choose this. Now we're, I'd want to get back in the building. Don't miss what God's doing, right? Yeah, that's good, man. Uh, I mean, the majority true. of Jesus' miracles were not in the temple. They were out in the marketplace. And so I, I think we are, you know, I, I think we're privileged. We are gotten a front row seat. God is planting new seeds. I think we all know, like, perhaps this coronavirus is the first of some other things to happen. And they're not just all negative. Yeah. Um, but there is a, a shaking going on, a church quake, as it were. 
Yeah. And man, I just want to be in, in, in step with the spirit. I want to flow wherever the Holy Spirit's going. That's where I want liquid church to go. So good. And uh, I know that's your prayer too. Yeah. And I was going to ask you, Tim, one of the things that has struck me about you, and I'm going to say this in a, it's an encouragement. <laughs> so <laughs> is uh, most guys, when I think of church planners, and maybe you've seen this, most the church planners I know primarily come from the outside to an area. Mm, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and maybe you've even noticed that in your, your yep. Northeast uh, leadership network, coaching yes. network. But I always love to hear from, I'm from Atlanta originally born and raised yeah. uh, in, the, in the ATL. And you know, <laughs> my wife is from this area and that's how I heard of the Northeast and specifically the Lehigh Valley and the rest is history. And, but I always love even just from a leadership perspective about how a guy who is from Jersey mm-hmm. chose to not only come back to Jersey, but stay in, in Jersey to, to see a work happen. And, and partly because I do think as we go forward, one of the things that I'm observing, I think a lot of people are going to be leaving areas. Mm-hmm. And so especially like um, metropolitan areas, like, yeah. and how much more important it will be to raise up indigenous leaders. Yes. People who are from the place. And I'm not saying that others from the sure. outside won't come in or whatever. Yep. I was just curious if, and I mean, I know I didn't send that question ahead of time, but I, it's always yeah. struck me about you. And I know that, you know, you had a great mentor and all that, but just, could you share with us even about yeah. how, as we think about seeing a move of God, how could we purposely tap into those who are from the areas that we're in? Sure. Um, to see an indigenous movement. Um, I, that that yeah, makes sense. hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I'm a big believer uh, living proof in the, you know, the principle of, Hey, bloom where you're planted. Uh, yeah. Um, and again, I'm like you, like I bless and I, I admire, you know, I have so many pastors in our coaching network, you know, maybe they came through arc or something and they said, yeah. Hey, like you, right. I was from another part of the country, but God put Detroit on my heart Yeah. and my wife and I moved there and we started church in our, in our you know, apartment or living room. I'm like, that is incredible, man. I wish I had that kind of faith, <laughs> but, but, but I'm a Jersey boy. You know, I, I grew up in New Jersey and it's home to me. You know, I, yeah. I met my wife out at Wheaton college in Chicago, but the main reason is we were in freshman writing class and everyone was Midwest, you know, LL being preppy. And there's my, <laughs> my wife with, you know, aquanetted blonde hair, you know, Bon Jovi. And I said, Oh, looks like home, you know? So, I think there's something very special. I, I would just like to, to challenge people to think that I think staying is the new going. Mm. You know, uh, there's something powerful when you grow up in a culture. Mine happens to be New Jersey. And again, our, we're city facing. So most yeah. people would identify with New York City. You know, yeah. we have seven campuses. They are all within about, you know, 15, 25 yeah. miles I, of Manhattan. Yeah, I was going to say, just to those who are listening that may not New Jer- know New Jersey, so when you say New Jersey, you got to remember New Jersey really breaks apart in two parts. I learned this in college from my buddies who were from New Jersey. Yes. There's South Jersey, and then there's North Jersey. That's and right. They, they, they feel yeah. and look very different, and they have uh, usually North Jersey and South Jersey people don't particularly le- like the other part as much as that's very That's very polite of you, Joe. Thank you for that. That's uh, – <laughs> As we like to say here in North Jersey, we, um, you know, we, we root for God's favorite team, the Yankees Ooh, that's right. and, and the Giants. 
And then there's South Jersey, where all the pagans are, who uh, are Eagles fans. The yeah. Eagles fans, you know, they're all Philly facing. So, yeah, they're very much, North Jersey is very um, fast-paced, cut and thrust of Manhattan. My wife worked in, in, you know, Midtown, New York for, you know, 20 years around the train line. A lot of our people are uh, marketing, pharma executives, you know, uh, graphic designers based in New York. Um, but there's something about that, that, like, that was normal to me. Yeah. Growing up, like the, the pace of life being 65, 70 miles an hour, that's just normal. And what we found is when people transplanted here, because we've had some people join our staff from Texas or Atlanta, and uh, they're like, bro, this is, what, what is this? Every, like it's 75 miles an hour. Everybody's rude. Uh, you know, it, it's like, it, it, I got flipped off in traffic coming to the church. What the? In the church parking and, lot, I got flipped off. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, right, exactly. Exactly. By the campus pastor. <laughs> he was just pointing me up to Jesus. He was just pointing me up to Jesus. All right, right? But then the people who live here, they're like, well, isn't it re refreshing? Because I talk to people who go down south and they're like, they come back and they're like, oh, it's a disaster. Everybody, they're so... It's polite to your face. Oh, bless her heart and yeah. sweet tea, y'all. I need some of that Jersey grit, you know, kind of, <laughs> because people will. And so I, that just takes a certain sensibility. I never knew anything different. And so, you know, I, I, I preach fast. I talk fast. And, you know, um, and at the same time, there's an authenticity that people crave here. But I think the Northeast is a wonderful place for it. And so I say that because you might have listeners listening from Pacific Northwest. There's a reason, you know, in Acts, it says God appointed the times and places for men and women to live. And I think there's something to that, particularly if you're in an unchurched section of the country. Here, we're not unchurched. We actually have a lot of overchurched. We, you know, there were, there were historic wells of revival. I'm like, let's reopen, redig those wells, liquid church. Um, and our vision is to saturate our state with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So New Jersey has 21 counties. And we've said, you know, our BHAG, our big, holy, audacious goal is, wouldn't it be amazing if, by God's grace, somehow we were to have a campus in every county one day? Mm. And so we're working on our eighth right now, so we're about a third of the way there. Oh. And uh, we may not get there in my lifetime. Uh, you know, I hope Jesus returns before. Um, <laughs> but it's a great vision because it's like, wouldn't that be amazing? You know, New Jersey, the land of Snooky and the Sopranos. <laughs> a life-giving, spirit-filled church in every county opened, winning people for Christ and populating heaven. And, you know, we've just found when folks come here from different parts of the country, and I'm not casting any aspersions, but I, like, I praise God for you, Joe. Like, I, like that's so interesting. I didn't know that about you. Hmm. Hmm. Like, when I first met you, I was like, well, of course God picked Joe Lardy to to saturate the Lehigh Valley. He's a, he's a valley guy. He bleeds Lehigh Valley. See, I didn't even know that because you are so um, interwoven and have mm. adopted. You've become a missionary where it's like, why well, assume you've lived here your whole life? Mm. Because you have a pulse on how the people think, the culture, what they eat, how they feel, their, you know, the different challenges they're facing. And I find sometimes church planners have a romantic vision yeah. of, I want to go and fill in the blank, Nashville. Um, well, yeah, I'd love to go to Nashville. <laughs> that sounds fun too. Um, but is that really God or is that just like, I'd also like quality of life in, in country music. Uh, I'm again, I'm not saying anything, you know, I, I, again, I consider many of my church playing friends have more faith than I do because they were just like, God called me like Abraham. I didn't even know where I was going. 
up and out and I transplant like you did, right, Joe? I mean, that's a perfect example. But yeah. if you don't bleed, if you don't smell like Jersey, smell like Lehigh Valley, smell like Nashville, man, it's going to feel a little bit more like missionary work than indigenous evangelism. Yeah, and I, I think it's really important for everybody listening here because I, I think whatever God's calling you to, you know, you have a choice. You can either be like Jesus or like Jonah. And mm. so Jesus, he left his home in heaven and entered into our world, but fully, fully engaged and embraced where he was. Yes. Yes. Jonah, if you don't know the Old Testament, ran <laughs> from the people that yeah. he was supposed to go bless and serve and to speak this word from, from God. And I, and I know even for me, I was a 23-year-old uh, right after college. I had planned to go back to Atlanta, and God closed those doors um, and then opened the door for me to, to be in the Lehigh Valley. And then eventually I would go on the plant, uh, Riverbend Community Church when I was like 27 years old. Um, but even in that, like having to work through, what is he asking of me? Like, I, I keep trying to go back to Atlanta, but the Lord is like, no, I want you here. I yeah. want you here. And I, and I would encourage us all, instead of trying to run from where we are, so to speak, what if God may be having something really unique for you to be a part of? And I love that yes. about Tim, because I do think we need more guys. We need a, we need a combination, but I, I would love to see it go more 70, 30, 70 yeah. and 30 from outside or 80, 20, yeah. just because, you know, that, that there's so much value in that. And then the last thing I want to ask you about, tell us about your coaching network and how people can connect with you, man. Sure. So again, the coaching network is for churches of any um, size, shape, denomination. It's a monthly coaching network that we carve out one day. What I found is, particularly here in the Northeast, um, you know, networks are really the new denominations. You know, I, I have learned the most when I have been with other pastors who perhaps are maybe a couple miles ahead of me on the journey. Uh, and so, you know, when people, when, when, when lead pastors, um, you know, we have a heart to reach new people, but how do we also feed the flock? How are we, you know, producing new volunteers? Because the reality is the children's ministry needs to go on and grow and, and discipling new families. Um, we're not taught that stuff. We're taught how to exegete a passage in seminary, uh, but not necessarily how to set a budget. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, we're not taught what's it mean to hire a, should I, should I hire a part-time youth director or a worship director? And can they just do both? And can it be my nephew? Uh, you know, how do I navigate firing my nephew? Uh, you know, all these things, stewardship. Um, and so what we do is we say, you know what? There's a reason that Paul calls the church the body of Christ. A body, it's, it's an organism. It's not an organization. And so it's made up of systems. And so what we do is we identify the top 12 systems of a growing church. So it's not about, church growth is how do you add numbers but it's about church health because healthy things grow and so what we do is i start every january a new um cohort this year i have 32 lead pastors and they're from i think seven different states um you know all the way down in uh, delaware there's a guy who flies in from california wow the, the majority of them are from new jersey new york connecticut pennsylvania uh, we've got uh, vermont new hampshire this year and they drive down, we do it in person, but now we're on Zoom, which is a new innovation. But what we found is most lead pastors are so busy working in the church, we don't take time to work on the church. 
That is get up in the balcony and get the 30,000 foot view of the church. We know we have a vague sense of like something's not right here with the small groups. I don't know what it is though. Uh, you know, I had a phone call. I just, I don't know what's. And so we go through each system, uh, one a month, deep dive into how do you get 80% participation, for instance, in your small groups. We were stuck at 40%, and that was pretty good um, for years. But we found a way that we were able to double small group participation for our adults and our students. Mm. And so, again, I'm like, we paid the stupid tax at Liquid. <laughs> <laughs> so let me pass that on to you so you can save time. And that's what system stands for, S-Y-S-T-E-M. Anything that saves you stress, time, energy, and money. <laughs> so, so it's a, a full day of coaching. Right now we're doing it virtually over Zoom. Um, if people are interested, the next network will be in January of 2021. Uh, we do have a waiting list. And the way they can get in touch or learn more is just email Janet, J-A-N-N-E-T, at liquidchurch.com. She is the lady. She's Wonder Woman. She has more pull with the network than I do. Uh, you know, she <laughs> keeps track. But again, we just, we just want to make sure it's a fit for, for everybody. But for the past years we've gone through it, it's been very refreshing. Um, it's, it's not just, you know, you have now peers, you have friends um, who are like-minded that they keep up long after the network is over. And, you know, I, I try to be available to pastors, like, you know, like yourself, right? We're friends. We, we, you and I have a relationship where, hey, we could text each other and say, what are you doing about reopening? Are you doing temperature checks or not? <laughs> and just the ability to check in with and benchmark with other guys you know, love, and trust. Oh, what a gift that is. So it's for men and women, mainly lead pastors. Um, and it's 12 months, and the next one's in 2021. Yeah, I would encourage you guys to, to take a look at that in your schedule. Like you said, there's a waiting list. Tim is always, um, again, an encourager, makes time. Several times I've come before even this group was going on and I've met with him, with his team and just to, to really learn from them. Uh, so Tim, if people want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Sure. So I'm on, on social. Uh, I am uh, primarily on Insta uh, yes. at yeah. Pastor Tim Lucas yep. and mainly because that's where my kids are, you know, awesome. uh, I got those Gen Z ones in my house. And so I, I love, I, I enjoy social. Um, you know, I do try to limit it so that it's not round the clock because it can also suck the life out of you, mm -hmm. but they can find me at pastor Tim Lucas on Instagram and Facebook as well. Um, I try to avoid Twitter because I find it's just turning into this polarizing, toxic, you know, weirdo cancel culture politics. Yeah. I'm like, ah, this is not good for my soul. So uh, you'll find, you know, I put leadership stuff on there, but I also put pictures of my son and I bass fishing. Mm -hmm. So good, man. <laughs> Try to keep it real, man. <laughs> it's awesome. Well, Tim, thanks so much for being on the podcast. And thanks for all you're doing, being an incredible leader who is led by Jesus and then allows your life to be a gift to others like myself. So we really appreciate you jumping on the podcast with us today. Awesome to be with you, Joe. Can I pray for you and for everybody? Yeah, man, do it. <laughs> Let's do it. Jesus, what a joy to be your sons and daughters. Lord, I thank you that you have called us into the family business. And it started long before we were even a, a thought, Lord. But um, you called us to have a divine role in the story of redemption and salvation of the whole world. Lord, I thank you for Joe and his leadership in the Lehigh Valley. I ask for your hand of blessing. I ask for Ezekiel 47 blessing 
Lord, on, um, on the church, Lord, on Riverbend. I pray that there would be a, uh, an unleashing, a flowing out of that building, saturating the valley for Jesus Christ. I pray the same for Liquid and for the church of every brother and sister who's listening to this podcast. Mm. Lord, I pray that that would start, though, by saturating our souls. Yeah. Would you allow us to drink deeply of you, Jesus? We need your living water. Oh, God, I, I've led out of dry places before. And I don't want to go back, Lord. Saturate us new today with fresh rain. Give us revelation from the Holy Spirit. I pray, would you dig a deeper well of all of the fruits of the Spirit in our leadership? Lord, more patience, God, during this time of waiting. Would you, we don't have enough patience. Jesus, we need your life flowing through us. Give us patience, God. Humility, Lord God. As the world gets prouder and prouder and crasser and crasser, may we become more humble and meek and then people will see jesus and not tim and joe so lord jesus thank you for this time i pray lord that whatever we've talked about that has been helpful uh or redemptive in the leadership would you allow that to just surface holy spirit surface those truths mm-hmm. and let uh, everybody know what their next step is but i also pray for if we've said anything lord or that hasn't been helpful or it's just foolish talk. Let it just fall to the ground like dust to be remembered no more. Um, Lord, I thank you that your spirit does speak through brothers like Joe and uh, as we share what the spirit is teaching each of us. But go with us now, Jesus, and we love you, Lord. And we say Maranatha, Jesus, come soon. It would be our great joy, Lord, to be the generation that sees you coming on the clouds for your bride. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Tim. You got it, brother. Love you, man. Keep killing it in the valley. Hey, you too, my friend. (laughs) We'll talk soon, okay? Blessings. Thanks for joining us for the Vision for the Valley podcast. We'd love to connect with you and to hear from you. You can find us on social media at Vision for the Valley podcast, or you can email us at Podcast at gmail.com. 